We are learning the Sicha about Yudshvat in Chelek Tezayin of Lakut Sichas. And in the Sicha, the Rebbe speaks about the theme and the inner meaning of a yard site, particularly the yard site of a tzaddik. The Rebbe indicates to us that all the deeds, all the Torah, all the divine service of the tzaddik that he worked on all his life, all of it goes up, Lamaila, and the job of everyone connected to the person is to think into what is it that this person whose yard site we are commemorating accomplished in his life, all his maizim, all his Torah learning, all his avoda, and the purpose of all of this is, of course, to take out a lesson in daily life for each and every one of those who follows the paths of that tzaddik in terms of his Maisim, Torah, and Avoda. So this, of course, applies in general. When we speak about a Yid, every Yid serves Hashem with Maisa, with Torah, with Tefillah. And there are many, many things that apply in each of those elements of a person's life. How much more so by a Tzaddik, by a Nasi of the Jewish people. And therefore, it's not always clear to us what exactly is the main point that we have to take out? What exactly is the most basic of all the lessons we take out for ourselves? But the Rebbe says, in our case, if we're spoken about the yard site of the Friedike Rebbe, we have a clear directive from the Friedike Rebbe himself, from the Maimar Bossi Lagani, that he prepared in, towards his histalkos and from learning that mimer, we know exactly what we have to delve into primarily on the day of the art site and what lessons we must take out practically. The Rebbe tells us that at the end of the mimer, the Friedrich Rebbe teaches us about the great importance of zrizos, of, alac- of alacrity, of working speedily and quickly in serving Hashem by doing Torah and mitzvot. Because in truth, nobody really knows anything about his days and his or her time on earth. As the Medrash tells us, a person is not in control to say, wait until I will make all my calculations and I will do everything I have to. So here we see that Zrizos, doing things diligently and not pushing them off in their service of Hashem, is not only a detail in the Avoda, as Chazal tell us that when it comes to doing a mitzvah, we should not delay them. And this is a general principle we should take for our lives because if we delay doing a mitzvah, we may, God forbid, lose out. As we learn in the Maimar Chazal, when it talks about the matzos, that they should not become chametz, it's written with one vav, mitzvos, we're not allowed to have the mitzvahs turn sour or ferment, meaning if you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, you must do it right away. And when the Pasuk says, you should look after the matzos, you should take care of them, it means the mitzvahs, because mitzvahs that are left sort of a little bit too long, they can ferment, and then we lose the whole opportunity of doing that mitzvah has so this we have at the conclusion of the Maimer Bossi Lagani. In the beginning of the Maimer, 
The three Dikir Rebbe tells us what the Avoda should be. At the end, we learn that the Avoda must be done with Zrizos. But here we learn what the Avoda must be. This is the message to us. Where does the Zrizos have to be put in, put into? And it should be in the concept of Nisava HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Baruch It should all be in fulfilling Hashem's desire that He, blessed Almighty, wanted to have a dwelling place right here on earth. Now, in truth, everything a Yid does in learning Torah and in doing mitzvot, and anything a Jew does, because the deeds of a Jew are supposed to be l'shem shamayim, as we learn in Perkei Avos and as we learn in Mishlei, b'chod rachecha da'ehu, we have to know Hashem in all our ways. There isn't a thing that a Yid could do or should do or does that can't fulfill these two teachings. Everything becomes a a, a service to Hashem and a fulfillment of Hashem's wish. And this, of course, is part of creating this dwelling place right here on earth. And we could fulfill Hashem's desire. Nisave, he had a taiva, he had a desire for this. But we certainly understand that the lesson in the idea of Hashem wanting a dira down here on earth, which the Fridi Kerebbe wants us to follow, and he left this message for us for his Yom Hilula, is not only a general message that we should be risen in observing in a general way all of Torah and mitzvot, but this is a very, very special and unique message in what particular aspect should the avoda, the main avoda of a yid, in our time be? And it has to, of course, be fitting to the maisim, the Torah and the avoda of the Friedrich Rebbe himself. So here we look into the exact expression that the Friedrich Rebbe brings in the Mimer, where he says, Nisava HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yoslo Yizbarech Betachtonim. So Hashem desired what exactly he, did he desire? So the desire was lo yizbarech. It was something specifically for Hashem, blessed be he. That's number one. It was particularly a dira, a dwelling place, a permanent dwelling place that he desired. And it was especially here in Tachtonim. Not generally that he wanted this, but he wanted it specifically down here in this world. So let us see what each of these things really means. Hashem wanted this, Nisava HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he should have a, for himself a dirabetachtonim, it uses the expression, liyos lo yizbarech, specifically for him. Lo yizbarech means to his very, very essence. In other words, he did not want only that we should fulfill for him, by doing mitzvot, to bring down into Tachtonim rays of his lights, emanations of Elokus, but rather he wanted the very essence of himself to be manifest here, lo yizbarech, his very essence. And he wanted it in the form of a dira. A dira means a place where a person lives, a permanent place, not a temporary place, like a sukkah, which is a temporary dwelling, but ba'ofen shal dira, established and set, 
He wanted to stay here permanently. And where is this here that he wanted his very essence to feel comfortable and to be able to manifest itself specifically in the lower world, not in the higher worlds. And all these three things we learn depend one upon the other, because if we're talking about revelations or emanations or rays of light, so this is not the essence and the ray is not something that remains permanently because it's not essentially what it's reflecting. It's just a ray. But being that this ray is a ray that one has to be a ray of light, that one has to be, or one has to have a keli, a vessel in which it should fit. So some vessels are suitable for those rays and some vessels are not. But if it's going to be in Tartonim, what Hashem wants is that his very essence, which has low limitations, and there's absolutely no need for special kalim that are suited particularly to those particular emanations, but his very, very essence has absolutely low limitations. It does not have to come down necessarily in a high place or only to malachim because it's his very essence and it has no delineations, no definitions of any kind of limitation. It's, ne- it's not changeable, it's constant, and this has to come down in a place that is a dira and that is something that's going to remain permanently because it's the very essence. And this has to be specifically in tachtonim because in the higher realms, things that fit in higher realms could be reflected there. But things that are way beyond higher and way beyond lower, that are essence itself, that's what Ebershtern wants to come down here in our world. So now, let's see, how does the Rebbe explain to us how this avoda of making lo yizbarech, a derabitachtonim, takes place? What kind of manner do we do this an avoda in that this particular world where we are living, not the world of the malachim, not the higher worlds, but our very lowly world with all its difficulties, that this should become the place where Hashem wants to be his own dwelling place where he will be as comfortable as ever. So number one, we go back to the three points we mentioned earlier. It has to be low yizbarech, low for him, blessed be he. In other words, the avoda has to be done in a way that we are doing it because this is what Hashem wants. No other reason, not because we get a reward for it and not because even if we don't want a reward, but we know that when we do a mitzvah, we cleave to Hashem or we want very much to fulfill Hashem's intention. It's only because this is what Hashem wants. We have to work in that manner that this is the will of the Ebeshter, regardless of where it takes us, where it leads us, if we understand it, if it makes us feel good, it has nothing to do with how we feel. Number two, it has to be Adira. That means when, when we do Avoda in this manner, it has to be what we call open Kavua, established, set, and unchangeable. Because when we think about it, when we do something, 
there are sometimes changes. Sometimes we feel this way, sometimes we feel a different way, but consistently and constantly, we have to do it in a manner that this is what Hashem wants unchangeably. And and this kind of avoda should but be done primarily with things of a lower nature, not necessarily that we're aspiring to achieve the highest levels regarding how we learn Torah, regarding how we observe mitzvot, and regarding how we relate to other yidn. And here too, these three depend one upon the other, just like lo yizbarech, for him specifically, for his essence, dira, a permanent dwelling place, and betachtonim, particularly in our world. So let's stop, let's think about this for a minute. A person is doing the right thing. Sometimes we do something because we feel good about it. We feel there'll be a benefit. So we feel we're growing. We feel we're accomplishing. We feel we are reaching high levels. We are, we are uh, doing what Hashem wants, but we feel that we are doing it. Look at me. I am actually doing Hashem's will. So if we work in that way, we're not always going to be constantly and consistently working in the same fixed manner. It depends if I feel a feeling of ava, of love, or if I feel at that moment a feeling of fear. It's not kavua. It changes according to my needs and my feelings and my aspirations and my ideals at that time. And also, it shouldn't really matter what the avoda is because all of us have leanings towards one direction more so than to others at different times or even in the same times. Uh, sometimes we want to be involved in higher things. Sometimes we feel a greater highest in one aspect than in another. And that's all very nice, but that's not the avoda of actually making lo yizbarech this dira b'tachtonim. To do with lo yizbarech, it means that it doesn't really matter what I'm doing, what I'm doing it with, who I'm doing it with, why I'm doing it. It's all one goal. Hashem wants a dira b'tachtonim, and everything that comes my way is going to be done in a way to make this dira b'tachtonim. And here the Rebbe mentions something very interesting, that this is the kind of conduct that the Friedrich Rebbe himself experienced, and his whole life, if we study it, we'll begin to see in a revealed way that when it came to spreading Torah, when it came to strengthening Yiddishkeit, it was always the same. Everything was a result of profound Mesiris Nefesh, and it didn't even matter where the Friedrich Rebbe was or what kinds of circumstances uh, he was living in, it was all done with Mesiris Nefesh. And as the Rebbe says over here, it was a kind of Mesiris Nefesh that the Friedrich Rebbe did not look at all at his own life. His own life did not matter at all. The most important thing was that Torah should be spread and Yiddishkeit should be strengthened. And here in the footnote, there's a reference to a Sikha that the Rebbe spoke one year on Yud Beis Tammuz. And it's in Chelot Yud of Lukotesichas. It's Parshas Chukas Bolok. And there it's fascinating to learn how our Rebbe describes the life of the Friedrich Rebbe, 
that it was a life of profound mysterious nefesh constantly and consistently. And the Rebbe being a Nasi of the Jewish people for 30 years, three decades, and each decade, more or less, each more or less period of 10 years was marked by very profoundly different circumstances and conditions. The first 10 years in the Soviet Union of literally risking his own life for Jewish people, and not only his own life, risking the life of his shluchim, knowing very well that their lives were at risk, but Mr. Snepesh to spread Torah and Yiddishkeit in the highest possibly imaginable level. In the second 10 years, the Friti Karebbe's life was in a free country when he had to flee from that country. And he lived in a center of many, many Yidden, and Yidden were free to practice Torah in Poland, where, which most, where most of this time was spent. And the Rebbe still exerted the exact same type of Mesiris Nefesh. And even though there were obstacles in the path, not obstacles of danger to one's physical life, but obstacles of danger of not accomplishing the mission of making sure that Torah reaches every single corner, every single Yid, disregarding who the Yid was, where he came from, and what his level of observance was, the Mesiris Nefesh was the same. And then when the Rebbe had to flee from Europe and he came to the United States, a free country where those who worked to bring him out, many of them hoped that the Rebbe would finally come and rest and relax. And the Rebbe said that America is no different. And the Mesiris Nefesh, if we read about it in the Friedrich Rebbe's writings of that period, the struggle against all those who stood in the way of allowing the Rebbe to make America a place of Torah, no different from the old country across the ocean. But the Rebbe stood steadfast and did not waver in anything until he was able to make in this hemisphere, in this part of the world, a place of Torah. So what do we see over here? That even though the Rebbe's work spanned many countries, many situations, many types of conditions, many levels of Jews, many, many things of every single kind of nature, but still the Rebbe's Mesides Nefesh was there, very profoundly manifest in everything. As the Rebbe says, in this, our Rebbe says, we noticed that spreading Siddhas and doing all these things, but the most a powerful effort, the most solid effort, the greatest exertion was put into three things. These three things and this effort was put in no matter where the Rebbe was. The first thing that Rebbe mentions is to organize uh, classes and lessons to teach halacha, practical observance of mitzvahs, to teach people how to be Rabbonim, so that they could help other people to do mitzvahs, to make places where Rabbonim will be, people will be able to study to be rabbis and then go out to different communities, to different towns and villages and countries or in their own country and spread Yiddishkeit. Another thing that Rebbe did not stop at at all ever, no matter what the challenges were, to spread the observance of practical mitzvahs amongst every kind of yid. So whether it requires sending shluchim to build mikvos, 
or sending mayulim in places where there were none, or anything that would help another year to do a mitzvah, no effort was spared. And thirdly, in the Indian of education, of chinuch for Jewish children, particularly small children, establishing chadorim under all kinds of circumstances, under all kinds of conditions and all kinds of opinions. And this way, Yiddishkeit was spread. And the Rebbe tells us that all these things that we just listed, these three things are really the level of tachtainim, both in uh, the, the teaching of halacha teach, and getting rabbonim to be able to teach halacha and to answer people's questions, spreading knowledge about practical mitzvot and doing things for chinuch. And this is what the Rebbe is going to be explaining now. When it comes to learning Torah, we know it's the greatest ideal that Jewish people have to learn Torah, but there are different ways of learning Torah. We know that Torah is actually studied in the heavenly yeshiva, and they study the same Torah that we do, the way Torah is understood on those levels. Everything in our Torah, whether it deals with spiritual things or physical things or criminal acts or whatever it is, it's all studied there in a, when those things take on a spiritual dimension. And right here on earth, we have different ways of learning Torah. We have learning Torah so we get rewards. We have learning Torah to strengthen the glory of the Abishter, to strengthen the glory of Torah. And then we have the learning that's not so much about actually learning and understanding and delving deeply and deeply into something, but the kind of study that's called La Suki Shmaita or Shmaita Sali, but the Hilchasa, which means to resolve halachic discussions that come up in learning for the purpose of honing in on the practical halacha, just learning for the sake of knowing practically how a yid should act. And here we see in a general way the difference between elyonim when it comes to learning and tachtonim when it comes to learning. So there's the kind of learning where a person really, really delves deeply and becomes very enthused with the studying and the give of take on Torah. And one could derive great pleasure in this kind of learning. One has great vitality in this kind of understanding. And this is what's called elyonim. It really puts us in very high places and sharpens our minds. And learning is about understanding and figuring things out. But when it comes to learning for the sake of tuning into the halach of knowing exactly what we are allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do and when and how and wherefore. This is not about enjoying great intellectual adventures, if you want to call it that, but this is just to know practically. It's not about enjoying it. It's about that knowledge. So here we see that this kind of learning, practical halacha, is the tachtonim level. It's about maise, it's not about intellect. Similarly, regarding the observance of practical mitzvot. So, when it comes to mitzvot, there are many ways to learn about them. And sometimes in certain situations, when you can't do a mitzvah, learning about the mitzvah is 
considered as if the mitzvah has been done, for example, when we are not able to offer up a carbon, like in our time, we learn that if we learn about carbonos, it's considered as if we brought a carbon. So that's one kind of observance when we learn about it, and it's as if we're doing the mitzvah. Then there is learning about the kavana of a mitzvah. We can learn about all the great things that happen in the other worlds when we learn about a mitzvah, or what will happen when we do a mitzvah, or what is the intent and purpose of the mitzvah. That's a very, very uh, high kind of learning. But you know what? In the times when the Beis Hamikdash was standing, when a Jew had to bring a carbon, and let's say that particular Jew had absolutely no knowledge about the laws of carbonos, but he relies on the Kohen, who is actually the one who offers up the carbon. So that person has fulfilled his obligation regarding the bringing of a carbon. So when it comes to a mitzvah, there's the talk about the mitzvah, there's the kavana of the mitzvah, but then there is the tachtonim level of the mitzvah. And that is practically to do the mitzvah. So now we've seen the tachtonim level of learning, the tachtonim level of mitzvah observance, just knowing the mitzvah is done by the one who has to do it, and similarly regarding other yidin. It's a wonderful thing to learn Torah with other yidin. But the Rebbe's emphasis was to teach young children with tremendous mesidus nefesh that a young child should be able to learn olive base, should be able to know the basics of Yiddishkeit with profound mesidus nefesh. The Rebbe did this and said others to do it, even when it meant that their lives would be at stake. So this is tachtonim regarding the people with whom we are learning. The lowest level, the base level of society are, of course, the little children. And now we could understand, the Rebbe says, how the involvement in these three levels of tachtonim can only come about in a manner that it's only for the sake of Hashem. Because if one is looking to do what brings one pleasure, even if it's the highest of the highest calling, if one is looking to do something because it will make them more complete, if one is looking to do something because they have a shlichus in the world and they want to fulfill it, that's all very nice. But the things we just mentioned were not of that category, but it's really all the idea of doing it only for the sake of Hashem. Because if a person considers himself to be anything, so of course, the most enthusiasm and the greatest excitement will be in exercising one's seichel and in appreciating the brilliant light that the Torah gives forth, and we're ready to learn, and such a person is ready to learn with other Yidden who seem to be suitable vessels for this kind of learning, especially if one is teaching Hasidus or inner secrets of Torah. And of course, this causes godliness to spread, and it's a wonderful thing to do. But when we're talking about learning just to hone in on the actual halacha, or learning olive base with little children, it's not necessarily so exciting. One does not have that same kind of energy and vitality. And we don't see the greatness, the Rebbe uses the word reichkeit, the riches, and the revelation of Hashem in this. And similarly regarding mitzvot, 
if we appreciate the kavana of the mitzvah, what is the goal of the mitzvah, what does the mitzvah accomplish, how does the mitzvah connect a yid with Hashem, this is very nice. But if it's an avodo, lo yizbarech, all we want is what Hashem wants. Hashem wants that we should do it for Him. When we do it for Him, it doesn't really matter how we feel about it ourselves. It doesn't matter if we feel we're perfect. We don't feel anything. We just know that Hashem wants and this is what we are doing when we are doing what we have to do. As we get closer to the conclusion of the Sicha, the Rebbe says that today is a time that everything has to be translated into simple, literal language. And from all the many horos, the Rebbe says, there are two areas that in our time we see in them a weakness. And those are the things that have to be strengthened. And in the Sicha, the Rebbe indicates this, that the first thing is learning halacha lemaisa, practical halacha, learning halacha for the sake of observance, not how the halacha came to be, which is all very, very important, but the main thing that has to happen our world now is that the mitzvahs have to be observed. And the Rebbe says that we see that with Hashem's help, the study of Torah in general is growing and increasing both in quality, in quantity and in quality. But the learning of Torah in a way that one should be able to learn how to paskin halacha, how to resolve halachic issues, how to answer halachic questions in all parts of the Shulchan Aruch, the Rebbe says every generation and every year, it seems that this kind of study is becoming less and less. And the Rebbe says he's not even talking about the most complicated laws of Shulchan Aruch, which maybe are more, are more, are more specialized, but in terms of the first part of Shulchan Aruch, Orachayim, which deals primarily with the day-to-day activities of a Yid, not necessarily with very special, unusual things. There aren't many people who are qualified, as there should be, to answer questions in this area. And when you approach someone who spends his whole time studying Torah, and you ask a practical halacha question, the answer is, very often, I'm very busy learning Torah. And a man Rav Yagdil Torah, V'yadir, increasing Torah, strengthening Torah, adding light to the world, but uh, answering a question regarding a specific law about what bracha one should say, or a specific law related to davening, or related to Kriyas Shema, this is not something that he's familiar with, because he's very busy learning very deep and profound things. And many people feel that the simple things they could figure out themselves. All they have to do is look in the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch and they'll find the answer. But that's not really what it's all about. Because this way, people who may not know the answers may start finding things that they think are answers. And this could become a dreadful misleading of the people. And therefore, the Rebbe says, we're talking now about the Hilula of the Friedrich Rebbe, and we all know the Pasuk from Shleim HaMelech, V'hacha Yitain Elibo. If we go and we look at the work of the Friedrich Rebbe, that he set up, that even when it was a matter of risk to one's very life, he set up yeshivas, but Medrash for Rabbonim, at that time when everything was so 
dangerous and so terrifying. So the lesson should be that all those who are seemingly qualified for this, and even those who might not be sure that they're so qualified to become knowledgeable in answering these daily questions that people have. But we need people to do this. So it's very important to learn in honor of the Friedrich Rebbe's yard site in a manner of being able to figure out and understand and explain to others and guide others what is the practical halacha. And the Rebbe says, this is not uh, relevant only to people in one city or only to a particular situation in a certain place, but this is relevant to hundreds of communities in the United States, in other countries who don't have enough people who know basic Shulchan Aruch and are able to answer daily questions, and as well as in Eretz Yisrael, which is a holy land where Hashem looks at it even more carefully than anywhere else. And one has to work at this very, very much. And if this will be the case, there will be a lot of Sayyata Deshmaya, uh, help from above to be able to direct one's understanding and one's resolution to halach and practical answers to questions to be able to say and to do the right thing and by doing this one becomes an actual partner with Hashem in the creation of the world. The second point which has to do to our time is regarding the chinuch of small children because according to the laws of the land and many lands, our country and similar countries, the Rebbe says a certain situation has developed that has to be rectified because the system is such that a child, not only when he's five years old and he starts school, but even when he's learning Mishnayis already, when he's already age of bar mitzvah, and they go to a Jewish school and they have to spend so much time learning Limudei Chol. And the, here the Rebbe says, we take a lesson from the life of the Friyadike Rebbe, who had practical, concrete Mesiris Nefesh, and sent other Yidden to have this same Mesiris Nefesh to establish Chadarim for Jewish children, where they learned Altaras HaKodesh. This is how Jewish children always learned, and not to change the ways of education for Jewish children from how they had been done for so many generations prior to the present time, and especially in our time, in our country, and similar countries, where Baruch Hashem, it's not a matter of danger. One has to put the greatest effort that the chinuch of Jewish children should be completely altara sakodesh, and not mix in limudei chol. And if one does, one must do it only when the law requires it but in a way that it's done without taking up so much time. Here the Rebbe concludes by telling us that for the people who find this challenge very difficult to, to meet. So the Rebbe says one can have a little bit of limudecho, but it doesn't have to be on a broad or on a grand scale. There is no demand that the limudecho have to occupy the amount of time and the amount of quality time that they do in the schools that are directed by men and women who are actually Yerei Shamayim, God-fearing people. So these people have to be made aware that 
the greatest effort should not be put in to exactly follow the fact that Limud Echol has to be studied in all the details, but it can be done in a way that it doesn't interfere with fulfilling the details of all the laws that were administered to us at Harsinai. That's what we have to follow. And the laws of the land, thank God, are very important. Dina de Malchusa Dina, but that's only in terms of all the things where the laws of the land are things that don't affect our Yiddishkeit. Rebbe quotes here the words of the Friyadike Rebbe when he was freed from prison and was sent to exile in Kosrama. The Rebbe said these words that when it comes to matters of Yiddishkeit, when it comes to matters of Jewish education, when it comes to matters of Yiddishkeit, there is nobody here who can tell us their opinion. We don't have to abide by any of it. And if somebody cannot withstand the challenge of not teaching the Limudei Chol and only having Limudei Kodesh, these Limudei Chol can be fit into the framework of the yeshiva, can be fit into the framework of the law of the land, but it has to be done as much as has to be done, but not to put the greatest sima slave, the greatest attentiveness has to be for the Limudei Kodesh and then whatever else has to be done. There has to be done, there has to be done, but not with the same level of vitality. And another point that Eva makes here is, of course, this is in addition to the fact that any Limudei Chol, any secular studies that are studied should not be in the beginning of the day, when the day of study begins, based on the posuk, we have it by the mitzvah of Chalo, which we learn somewhere else, but there it says, that when you are baking, so from the very first of the dough, before we can use the dough for anything, we have to do hafrashas Chalo. And we all know that the word arisa, which can mean the batch of dough, can also mean the cradle. From the very moment that the child begins to study, we have to teach him Kodesh, Altara, Sakodesh, and we have to lift up the child to Hashem. Tarimu Truma Hashem. Truma means we raise it, we lift it. And only after that, after the child comes to school, and the time of the day when the child's mind is most fresh and most alive and most vital, then we learn Kodesh. And then there's a little bit of time, but we're going to do Limudei Chol. And at that point, the child may mind may not be as fresh, but never, if possible, to not put the Limudei Chol the first thing. Always it should follow the Limudei Kodesh. And in conclusion, the Rebbe quotes the Maimur Chazal from the Medrash that says, Hashem does not ask from us anything that we don't have the capacity to do for him, to fulfill. So it's definitely certain that with a little bit of effort and with a little bit of proper attention, this thing can be done and one can decrease or reduce the amount of time that the children learn Limudei Chol and give uh, 
disproportionately more time, both becomes in times of terms of quantity of time and echos quality of time, ilimude kodesh, and this should be done in a way that we feel that this is how it has to be. And if we know that this is how it has to be, Hashem will help that we will be able to accomplish it. As we saw by the Friedrich Kerebe, that notwithstanding the fact that in his time, there really was no way, according to the normal running of the world, according to the rules of nature, that the effort the Friedrich Rebbe put into the chinuch of Jewish children that it should be done in the most pure and holy way in that country, under the threats of that country, but the Rebbe didn't stop. He persisted and he persevered and he pursued this cause. And now the Rebbe says, so many decades later, this is a sikha from Tavshin Lamid Vov Yud 1966, or, nine, or maybe Tavshin Lamazan, 1967. So many years after the Rebbe's work, when he was over there, before he was driven out of that country. So what do we see? We see the most incredible results and the most incredible fruits that resulted from the Friedrich Rebbe's work. And here are the Rebbe's words, that when you go out in the street, in the big cities in the United States or other places, and you see grandchildren that come from parents who 20 years before or 40 years before, and this is talking in, tough, in the 19, 1976, as we said. So this is many, many years later. And we saw that they came from that country. And we see that these ch- grandchildren, great-grandchildren, are following a life of Torah and mitzvot in other places in the world. And we ask, how is this possible? How could there be children like this, born to parents who were children of those who lived in circumstances where it was not possible in anyone's imagination to teach Torah in this way? So you begin to investigate. How is it possible to see people like this? And what do we discover? that this individual had a parent, a madrich, a guide, a grandfather, etc., anybody else who had some kind of connection of some form with one of the shluchim of the Friedrich Rebbe in those years who aroused the people around himself, that shliach, to be more involved, to be more connected to things of Yiddishkeit, and taught them. So this is connected to a shliach who taught someone, who taught someone else, etc. And this studying was done hidden, either in an attic or in a cellar, in a way that maybe, maybe they would be able to give over something of Torah through Yiddishkeit before they would be caught. And because of that shliach, who the Friedrich Rebbe sent at that time to that place, Anyone who was connected to that shliach transferred that message to another yid, to another yid. And now, so many decades later, we see it in our very lives. You know, now it's close to 100 years later. And what do we learn here? This is the conclusion. Similarly, all those that follow in the ways 
of the Friedrich Rebbe, through the effort in doing the Savoda of strengthening the Chinuch Altara Sakodesh of Jewish children, we will certainly succeed in setting up and raising up the Tzifos Hashem, the armies of Hashem, the Jewish children, who very, very soon will exit from this last final Golos in the Geula HaMitzis V'Hashlema, the complete true Geula through Mashiach Tzitkenu, and it should be Ba'agola Didan, speedily in our time. May we merit to experience this following the ways of the Friedrich Rebbe and of our Rebbe more strongly than ever, even before Yod Shvat. Thank you.